tying down the next generation. So today we're going to be talking to the best of my ability to uh, offer some points that I think that will help us retain our adult children in the church. Now, I'm sure most of you are familiar with what this is. This is a tie-down strap. If you've uh, pulled a trailer of any sort, you've used, maybe not one this big, but you've used a tie-down strap of some sort. Tie-down straps are designed to hold your cargo in place so it doesn't move around and, more importantly, doesn't fall off. Now, there'd be a lot that would argue. I've had this argument with several. Well, we don't want to tie down our children. We don't want to force them in a certain spot. And their logic sounds good to some extent. But they, they miss the end result. And the end result is, if we were to ask our children, when they're old enough to answer, did you want to fall off the trailer? Do you want to go to hell? Do you want to fail? Do you want your life to be a disaster? I think we would find that every time they would answer no. And it is my belief that that requires, while they're young, that they need to be tied down. Now sometimes when you tie down, after you tie down a trailer, I have customers that will come and pick up their products and so I, I have a little experience with tie-down, so I give them this little piece of advice. I tell them, I said, listen, once you get down the road and you get gas or something, make sure you get out and check your load. Because as you're riding down the road and you hit a few bumps here and there, the load begins to settle into place. And then your straps get loose. Now you're tempted to think to yourself, hmm, that's settling into place. It's getting, it's comfortable. It's doing, the, the, the cargo is doing really good. Why mess with the straps now? Just leave them alone. Leave them loose. They're, they're kind of holding where we want them to be. Then you hit a big bump. We hit a big bump in life. And our young people hit big bumps, especially when they get into the teenage years. There's a, a couple of big bumps. And when they hit those big bumps, even if they don't completely fall off the trailer, which is a possibility, the load gets damaged. And the load that mostly my customers carry will be a painted fence or handrail or gate of some sort. And if you sit there and you don't keep it tight and you let it bump down the road, it may not completely destroy it, praise God, but it'll scratch it up so bad that you'll at least have to go back and do some maintenance. And sometimes maintenance doesn't go as well as the original product. So we're far better off to protect that cargo rather than have to go back and fix the cargo, Amen. if that makes sense. Amen. So today we're going to look at how we can hold our young people down. Give me just a second here to start this clock. I'm taking off the few minutes that I feel I've already used. So who am I going to talk to today? Well, I do think that fathers are the key. So it's probably gonna come out from time to time in this lesson, fathers, fathers, fathers. Okay, well, you're, I'm right to do that. I don't wanna dismiss the mothers. 
Mothers, you play a key role. In fact, if you wanted to, this is how powerful you are if you, if you need to have a little, you know, feel like that you've got some strength here. I really believe that if you wanted to destroy your children's life, despite what your father is doing, you could do it. Okay? So you play a very important role. But Scripture's pretty clear that the source is the father. They have supernatural given innate tools that gives them influence over the young people that only they have. But also this lesson isn't just to the parents that have young children they're raising up and they want to retain them into, this, into the congregation of their church. But there's some things here that those of you that are still young adults, say between the ages of 19 and 25 or 30, and you want some answers. How can I be retained? I want to be here, but I see the failure rate. What can I do to reduce my risks? That's going to be present here as well. So there's, there's things in this lesson that all of us can learn. My opening verse this morning is in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses, verse 8. This is my, we'll say, the, the, my opening verse. The verse that I'm building this entire lesson around. To get nothing out of the lesson, get this verse. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Now here's the first and very important aspect of this verse. You have to believe that there is a devil. If you don't believe that there is an enemy, if you think the only enemy out there is my fallen sin nature, then you're not going to get much out of this verse. And that's going to handicap you in retaining your children. I really believe that. We must know who the enemy is. We must acknowledge that there is an enemy. We must acknowledge that there is a person, a person, an angelic being that has an agenda, has intelligence, and has the ability to influence his will in this world. If we say that doesn't exist, then who are we fighting against? Why worry? And the truth of the matter is, many parents don't worry. I'm not worried. You know, I get my kids to church once or twice a month, and we're good. As long as I'm good, they're good, right? Because as long as they're they're emotionally and psychologically healthy, because that's where some believe the the devil is, is our psyche, well, everything's good. They're happy. They're smiling. We're all good. No. There is something outside of us, outside of our home, outside of our church, and I prefer to keep them there, that is seeking to destroy your children. Your children have a bullseye on their back, and Satan is daily lofting arrows at them. And it is our job to build their armor. But before we even get to that part, we have be sober, be vigilant. What's that? Sober. Well, the definition of sober starts with free of liquor. Now, I know some of you are going to be, oh, there he goes again on that alcohol, okay? We cannot be sober. So I'm going to, for the sake of just making everybody happy, I'm going to add to that. Alcohol's got to be on there. If you're drinking, you're not in your right mind. And if you want to give wisdom while you've got a beer open and you're sucking it down, and trust me, that's how the world communicates wisdom to their children. Come on, buddy. Let's go to the lake. 
Here, well, you, well, you can have a sip, but you can't drink it all. And he's sitting there, hell, now let me tell you the stories of life, how to avoid your thing. And next thing you know, you've got a buzz on, and you're sitting there fishing, and you're giving all kind of advice. That's, that, you're not going to be giving good advice. Okay, now I add drugs into there. I will, I will even go so far as to say that the liquor aspect of this definition is to be careful of anything that corrupts my thinking, that does not give me a clear mind. All right, and there's a lot of things that we can abuse, drugs, alcohol, and then even non-substances that can abuse our mind and cause us not to be able to think clearly. We must be able to think clearly. The next part of the definition is not out of control. If we cannot control our emotions, I'm going to pick on anger, but that's not the only one. If we cannot control our emotions, we are not going to be able to resist the devil. We're not going to be able to combat them. We're not going to be able to have in our tool belt the necessary thing to pass on to our children what they need to be successful in the church. The next one is serious, solemn and grave. Are we taking, not just our relationship with God, but we'll start there. We must take our relationship with God seriously. And part of that is our church. Are we taking, is is, the world, I'll just use the the charismatic movement of the church. They're they're the biggest easy one to see, but they're not the only ones. They've turned God into a joke. They've turned him into an an emotional experience. Now, if you don't feel something in your relationship with God, there's something wrong. But the feeling is not the requirement to have the relationship with God. The relationship with God really revolves around obedience. And the only real way that we're going to be willing to be obedient is if we truly understand who he is. Now, we attempt, at least when the police are present, I don't know if they have them anymore, but when I was traveling the world, we used radar detectors. Anyone remember those? So we would go, I mean, I'd be going down, well, I mean, I shouldn't use me, I don't want to give away my speeding record, but some of us would be driving down the road really fast, always in a hurry back when I was in my 20s. Then that thing would start to light up. And then I'd slow down. I was being obedient. I was being obedient because I feared the consequences. I was being obedient because I saw that there was a benefit in being obedient. Now, sometimes that's how it can work with God. But sometimes God doesn't punish you right away. And sometimes you don't gain the benefits. You're not rewarded right away. So if our only reason to be obedient is because of the reward or the punishment, it won't hold with our relationship with God because there's too big a gaps. So what you'll find is is people fall out of obedience. The, The way to have a heart of obedience is to understand who God is. We have to know who he is and we have to have that relationship that will drive a desire to be obedient for that reason alone. Punishment and reward will not hold obedience. Serious. And we must take this sanctuary, I believe, serious. 
This is not a place for games. This is not a place. We just need, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but we need, when we walk into this, this building, it's not just the building. I hope you recognize that this is where God's presence is. This is the house of prayer. Do we treat it like the house of prayer? I'll use just for a quick example dress. I, I, I hear this argument all the time, and I'm, I'm done with arguing about it, but I have this opportunity to stand before you, so I'll go ahead and put my opinion out there. Dress will not get you into heaven. In fact, the best dressed person in here may not be the most spiritual person in here. Agree? But when I open up the closet, and I say, well, I'm getting ready to enter into God's house. And I have a choice of gym shorts and a t-shirt or something else. If I choose the gym shorts and t-shirt, that says something about me. That says I'm not taking this serious. That makes sense? So I'm not judging anyone. I'm not even telling you what the dress code should be. I'm simply telling you that if you're not willing to put your best on for this, then you know, I don't think you're taking it serious. In fact, I, I, I remember having a conversation with somebody at work one time, back when I worked at this hospital. And he came up to me and he talked to me about, a lot of, about the Bible a lot. And then he came one day and said, listen, I really want to go to church. But I can't stand their dress codes. And I, I was thinking to myself, I said, well, have you been in a church lately? I don't think you have to worry about that. But as he's telling me this, and I'm listening... I'm looking him up and down, and I realize he's got on a, a nice pair of khaki slacks. And he's got on a dark blue um, polo shirt with the logo of the company he works for. His hair's combed, and he doesn't smell. So I could not say that for every employee, but he was. He was, well, he was take, well groomed. He didn't have a problem for dress code and work. That wasn't a problem. His problem was he didn't want to have a dress code for church. And the reason is he wasn't taking it seriously. Next one is vigilant. Vigilant definition is watchful, attentive to discover and avoid danger and to provide safety. Watchful doesn't mean that we need to be going on the internet and looking for all the problems in the world that may or may not exist or may or may, or may not affect us or our church. We can get consumed with the fallen world. It's fallen. Okay, if you don't know it, I'm telling you. It's fallen. You turn on the news, it's going to have bad things on it. Don't worry about it. I'm not telling you to bury your head in the sand and be ignorant of what's going on in the world. But most of what goes on in the world, it does not affect us. We cannot have an effect on it. So quit worrying about it. That's not what we need to be watching. What we need to be watching is what's happening in our homes. We need to be watching what's happening in our church. Are we looking to see where the compromises are beginning to sneak in? Again, I have lots of them, but I'm going to throw one out. Music. This congregation is an example. When I was a young man, there was issues with music. But I promise you today, as I've been watching, not necessarily in this sanctuary, but if we were to go out and turn on all the cars... We wouldn't even have to touch the radios. They're already on. We would have something that would be worthy of looking at. Be watchful. 
attentive to discover and avoid danger. We must rightly divide the word of God and make sure that we are teaching our young people and those of you that are young adults, you need to make sure that what you are teaching yourselves is right. It must be right. I, I get it. I've had so many conversations about, well, is this worth, I mean, is this a salvation issue? Well, there's a lot of things that aren't salvation issue. Is this worth breaking fellowship over? Well, a lot of things it's not worth breaking fellowship over. But that doesn't mean it's not important to get it right. I'm a black and white person. I admit it. I'm working on that. I don't know if working on it is actually a good thing, but I am trying to see, understand the gray area. But the reality is, it's either right or it's wrong. Being partially right is wrong. Okay? You're on the right track. Praise God. But if you've got a little more to go, go to the end. Let's do our best. We're not going to get it perfect. We are in a fallen world. I get that. But let's do our best, as we read earlier, to remove our emotional issues from our study of Scripture and make sure we're getting it right, because if we don't get it right, we're passing that on to our next generation. You got it wrong. I don't really know the implications of every piece of doctrine, but I do know that if you get it right, you're going to be better off. Amen. Provide safety. Vigilant means to provide safety. As a church, as the owner of a home, we must be diligent in making sure what comes through our doors is suitable. Do you understand that? We can't just let everything in and then stir it all up and then say, well, I'll divide it out later if it gets bad. We need to know what we're watching on TV. We need to know what books are being read in our homes. And now, and I wish I could say this was just the homes, but those little cell phones, I, I go walk around this congregation today, I'll find them it's in the church too. The things that are coming across those screens, we've got to be careful and make sure what's coming into those screens is good and wholesome. Good and wholesome. I like to watch movies. There's a whole list of movies at home that I have that I can't watch because of all the swearing in it. See, we don't want to get desensitized to that either, to where we get used to it. And the more and more that we allow ourselves to be around this kind of stuff, be around the world. There needs to be a separation of us from the world. I mean, how many times have we heard the verses read in this, in this building today? And I'll, I'll read them again, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? That doesn't mean that we're good. But that means that we're children of God washed by the blood of Jesus Christ and we should act like that means something. Amen. When we act like it doesn't and we go out into the world and we consume ourselves and, and just drown ourselves in the world and the pleasures thereof and then we just come to church once in a great while and say, hey, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. We're not acting like it. Now, I'm not raising my voice because I'm mad at anyone. I'm saying this because this benefits you. Yeah. 
benefits me. This benefits the next generation. To hold the next generation, we have to keep our kids out of the world. We have to do it. The next verse that I, I have there, if we jump down a little further in our, in our Bible to verse number 17, it says, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate. Who say it? Sayeth the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, that will and I will receive you. Now that little word, I will receive you. I don't want to read too much into it, but is it possible that if we don't come out from the world, that he won't receive us? I don't know, but it seems like that's an important thing to be thinking about. We must separate ourselves from the world. Um, we get desensitized. Now, I'm going to give you an example about me. Now, I don't want to make my lessons about me because I have a few stories here that I'm going to tell, but I could tell stories about other people in this congregation. But I don't want to take the chance of uh, hurting anyone's feelings, so we'll pick on me. So when I was a teenager, just getting ready to graduate high school, I had this opportunity to uh, do an intern program for welding in a, a, a factory just about an hour north of here. It was just a five-day-a-week job, but we got behind on midsummer. We got behind on a project. And so they came around, my supervisor, and were asking everyone to work Saturday. We are going to have the whole shop work Saturday on one project to get that one project caught up. So my supervisor came to me and said, hey, I need you. He didn't ask. He said, I need you to work Saturday. Now, he wasn't the boss. He was just my supervisor. But I know where he was going next. And I said, no. And I can still remember that conversation. It never even crossed my mind to say yes. I didn't debate it in my mind. It was, no, I can't do it. And he gave me that look like, oh, you really want me to send that message to the boss? I'm like, yeah, I'm not working. I was ready to lose my job. Okay. About a year later, I graduated welding school. I was going to welding school while I was working up there at the same time. And my first job away from home as a pipe welder in Decatur, Illinois. If any of you guys are close to there, I was there for a year. My first day on the job site welding, my foreman came up to me, and they worked 24-7. Everyone was rotated, but there was never a day that that plant was shut down. So he asked me, he said, what day, he got one, it was six days a week we worked, what day would you like off? Now, you'll, if you've ever worked a job site, you know your foremans are not your friends, they're looking for ways to cause trouble in your life, so I, I didn't know that my first job, but I said, Saturday, that's the day, that, that's my Sabbath, and I, I'd really like to have that day off. Now I know, looking back, that guaranteed me that I wasn't getting Saturday. Well, I remember him coming, and I was in a tank, and he came in, and he said, listen, Here's your day. It's Tuesday. I had a really terrible, terrible feeling in my heart. It hurt. I felt wrong, and I think to some extent guilty and fearful. What is God going to... I mean, I'm, I'm away, seven and a half hours away from home, first time in my life, on my own, basically, and a 15-year-old pickup truck to get me here and there. And I'm broke at this point. Spent all my money just in, to get there and, and school. I was like, God is gonna, is, what's God going to do? And I had that feeling for about a week. Every day it got a little less and a little less and a little less. But it held on for about a week. Now I was there for a year. 
once I established who I was, and I think I was probably about the best welder on that job site, I never once went back and said, hey, can I get my day off moved? You want to know why? I was used to it. I didn't feel guilty anymore. I didn't feel bad. I didn't feel anything about it. It was just part of the process. I had convinced myself. And I had, I had worked many, many, many other jobs after that and never brought Sabbath up ever. If I got him off, I got him off. I didn't, no big deal. Didn't bother me at all. I was desensitized by that sin. And that's what happens when we allow ourselves to go into the world and be part of the world. It will begin to desensitize little by little. A few, a few miles over here is a, is a dairy farm, pretty decent-sized dairy farm. they got two, 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 two barns, and these barns are slanted. And at the end of the day, they take a hose and they wash that barn down to a pond. Now, I won't tell you what they're washing out, but I bet you can imagine. So there's this pond that they have that collects all that, and then eventually they spray that onto the, the, to the crops and grass and stuff for fertilizer. As Jamie said, I have a welding shop. Well, I had a shop then, and I was contracted to build the, the landing that goes out in the middle of the pond, and they have this floating pontoon device that had the pump on it that pumped all the stuff out. year after I built that, they had a, a, something damaged on it, so I had to go out there and do a weld repair on the platform itself. And while I was laying down on the platform, hood down, welding, I somehow, with my knee and leg, kicked out one of the pontoons from out from underneath the platform, and it sank quickly. And I still, I lost my hood. That was such a good hood. I did not sit there and think, what should I do next? I wanted out of that cesspool as quick as I could get. Three seconds tops is all I was in there, and that's because I was struggling to figure out what was happening and get my leads off of me and get out. I guarantee I could take any one of you over to that pond and say, hey, would you like to jump in and take a swim? And I, I'm pretty sure. Now, you raise your hand if you disagree, but I'll take you over there. I still got some friends. I can get you in. That so you'd all say, no, I'm not going into that. Now, we wouldn't swim in a cesspool, because we know that going in there, eventually that cesspool is going to affect me. Eventually, I mean, I can keep my mouth closed and blow out my nose and put earplugs in all I want, but eventually what's in that is going to get in me. And, I'm, and my biggest fear isn't just the disgustingness, which is that's enough, but I don't want to get sick. So I'm willing to admit that swimming in a cesspool is going to have an effect on me. But yet I don't have a problem going out in the cesspool of the world and being part of that. Think about it. You don't think it's going to have an effect on you? You don't think it's going to have an effect on your children, your family, your church? One of the cesspools around here is Facebook. Yep. I can't believe some of the things that I see of people that represent my congregation. It grieves me. But you represent your congregation. But you know what? You know why if you were to approach them and say, hey, maybe you shouldn't put that up because they know you go to the Church of Israel? They'll say, oh, you're, I'm tired of living in a, in a fishbowl. Leave me alone. Don't worry about the small things. Okay, I, that's fine. But the reality is they don't take this serious. It's a joke to them. I can do whatever I want public. It doesn't matter if I go to church. 
where I go to church, I can still act how I want. Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm chapter 78. Psalm 78, we'll begin in verse number 1. Give ear, O my people, to my law, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. This is God. And I will open my mouth in a parable, and I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. Father, this is on you. It's your job to communicate what we're about to, to talk about. Your job to transfer this to your children. You want to retain your children? This is where it's going to happen. It's not in, 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 in programs. It's not in, in, in sports and games. We've got thousands of dollars invested in two volleyball courts over here. I, I, I would argue that there's any better. Yet our kids still want to go to Nevada and play volleyball there. So it doesn't matter what games we give them. Now, that's fine. I think we should do that. But it doesn't matter what games we give them. They're still going to want to play the games in town. They're still want to play with the world. There's something about the world that is attractive. It's fun. It's glittery. We've got to counteract that, and it starts with teaching. Verse 4. We will not hide them from their children. Show to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. We can't just tell the kids, our children, the gloom and doom. Okay? There's a place for that. Absolutely. Hell and damnation sermons need to be preached in this country and in this building, and they are in this building. But we need to add to that. We need to tell about the wondrous works of God. We need to give them the hope and the confidence that anything is possible with God. Anything. So yeah, if you do this, there's going to be terrible consequences. You go in the world, you're going to have the consequences. But don't worry. The world's falling apart around you. You don't have a problem because God is a God of miracles. And we need to show the miracle. Not just from scripture, which we need to do that. We need to talk about the Red Sea. We need to talk about the plague. We need to talk about the healings of Jesus Christ. But everyone in here has got a miracle too. We need to tell our children our personal experience with God and how he's worked miracles in our lives. We need to pass that on. Verse number five. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. We need to make it known to our children that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, not yet born, should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. We need to pass something on to our children And then we need to pass on to our children the desire to pass it on to their children. And then their children need to get it from them. It needs to be passed on. We need to set up a generational thinking. It needs to stop with this, I just got to get through this life myself. 
Okay, I know some days you wake up and that's about all you've got. I just got to get myself through this life. But we can't be thinking like that. We need to be thinking the next generation. How are we going to help them get through their life? That they might set their hope in God. They're not going to get their hope in God with the volleyball court. They're not going to get their hope in God with, with friends. Friends are important. But I've heard this a lot from the young people. I, I did a little research for this lesson. Friends was a big thing amongst the, uh, I won't, they're young adults, but they're non-married young adults. I've got, I mean, I just love my Saturday nights. Well, here's the thing, guys. You're going to get married someday and have children. You're not going to hang out with your friends on Saturday night. So if that's what's holding you to this church, it won't last long. And then even if you decide, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run against the grain. I'm not getting married. Girls, they're nothing but trouble. Expensive, too. Well, all your friends are, and you're going to wake up one day, and you're going to be the only one that shows up to, in your age group on a Saturday night function because everyone else has got a wife that they're going on a date with. And if you're not going on a date with your wife on Saturday nights, you better start doing it. You need to do it. That they might set their hope in God. We must, our anchor to the church is in God. If you're not anchored to God, if you don't respect, love, and take him serious, you'll never take this congregation serious. And not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Verse 8. This is what's going to happen if we don't do this. And might be, as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, whose spirit was not steadfast with God. We, as a spiritual institution, will crumble if we don't pass on things to our children. What do we want to pass on? Values. Really what about, you know, theology is important. There's a place for that. But the big picture is, theology will not anchor you to this church. I've seen it a thousand times. Games will not anchor you to this church. Friends will not anchor you to this church. And dare I say, family will not anchor you to this church alone. And that may be one of the strongest draws, but it, it's, you, uh, you can walk away from family if, you, if you're strong enough. What will anchor you to this church? A desire to serve God. If you don't have that, what is this? I mean, I've had plenty of arguments. A church isn't a building. Well, they don't understand the value of the building, in my opinion, because I don't think they truly understand their relationship. They don't have that relationship with God that says, I have a house of prayer. I have a place. Now, I know not everyone can have it. I'm not bad-mouthing home churches at all. But I'm saying that what we have here, hear me out, young people, parents, young adults, what we have here is special. And if you don't see it, in my opinion, it's because you don't have that relationship with God and you can't see what God has done. I was here in the early 80s. I saw what this campground looked like and I see what it looks like today. I was here when this church switched from the Sunday worship to a Saturday Sabbath. 
I've seen the blessings. I've seen the heartaches too. But with every heartache, there came something good out of it. We've got to center ourselves in order to be church-centered. Parents, we've got to teach our children in order to be church-centered, we have to be God-centered. So we have to pass on the values. What's a value? A value is something that is important to you. Is this church important to you? Are you sure? And, and then the value, how do you pass on a value? a value? You do not pass on a value by sitting down, my son down, and saying, listen, Ethan, this church is important to me. That's good if you do it. But you haven't passed anything on. You've given him a piece of information. He is now smarter than he was earlier. He knows something about me that maybe he didn't know earlier. And that's a shame that I have to tell him that. We don't pass values on with our mouth. Now they play a role. We pass values on by how we live. We pass values on to where I can walk up to someone and, and we do, we do this. And values don't necessarily have to be good things. But I can walk up to someone and I can see that's important to you. Oh, that's a value. You've just transferred your value to me, or at least the information. I don't have to be told that hunting's important to you. I can see when you take off hunting season, but you don't take off festival, that obviously hunting is important to you. You don't have to tell me about it. We have to pass these on. And I want to show you, this is a, this is a wonderful tool. But we, it's, we have to use it, but I want you to, to see that this is something we can kind of count on. Take, for example, tattoos. If you love tattoos, and, you, and tattoos are, are really interesting, they're, they're expensive. Okay? You make a financial investment into tattoos and expensive, and your children are sitting there watching it. Now, if you have a tattoo, it doesn't mean the end of the world, and you can tell your children, hey, I made some mistakes, and don't do it again, and you can still pass on a new, new value. But if you just go out and get tattoos, and you're like, oh, I'm going to the pawn shop to pawn something, because obviously I don't have any money, but I'm going to get money from them, so I can go out and buy a tattoo. Oh, yeah, oh, well, I don't have any money, but we take credit card. Tattoos, you can see the value in them. Now, here's what I want you to see. Parents that value tattoos will almost guarantee have children that have tattoos too. Because they saw the value that's been implanted into them. Tattoos are important. Now, something a little, maybe more positive. House building. You know, there's two ways for us to achieve getting a home. We can buy something that someone else built. Or we can build one ourselves. Now, building one ourselves is actually very complicated, a lot of hard work. But if you have a father that built a home, the chances of their, one of their children building a home is increased. Because they will have that experience of their father telling the stories, and maybe they were there when it happened. But you will see that there's, there's a relationship with a, a home that you built that is different than the relationship with a home that you didn't build. And that comes out as a value. And that will be passed on. So values can be passed on. And we have that encouragement. Now, how do we get these values? Now, this is for the young adults as well. We show a value by what we invest in. Let's, let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse number 19. Lay not up yourselves treasures on earth, 
where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. Now this is talking about investing in the world versus investing in the kingdom to come. The principle, though, is exactly the same in investing in the world and investing in the church. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What do, we, what do we need to keep our young people in this congregation? We need their hearts. Satan's after their hearts. He's working hard. He's roaming around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. He wants their hearts. If we want them to have hearts for this church, one, we have to have a heart for the church by what we invest in. We must invest. We must invest with everything that we have. And teach our children to do so and why they're still strapped down. We need to encourage them to be, be tithe payers. We need to encourage our children to participate in things in the congregation, not just pick up on uh, before festivals. Okay? It needs to be a weekly, daily thing. They need to be getting that, their minds formed to the idea that this is... Let me, let me tell you this way. I have a, a truck I bought a few years ago, a Ford. So right off the bat, we, we know how damaged this story is. I did not look it over as closely as I should have. And I got it home, and it has severe rust on the frame. It is a rust bucket. I mean, every time I use it, it, it starts with prayer. So maybe that's not all bad. But I, I, I recognize this truck is in bad shape. So I tried to get rid of it. Couldn't get back. They wouldn't take it back. They knew what they sold me. And uh, so I, I didn't like the truck. I try to have a good attitude when my wife was around so that she wouldn't feel bad for me, but I really despise this vehicle. And it started having normal used vehicle problems, and one of them was uh, one of the springs in the front end broke. You can still drive it. You drive kind of crooked, but you still drive it. I didn't want to fix it. I didn't like the truck, okay? I, you ask me about the truck, I have all kind of bad things to tell you. That's it. You ask me something good about the truck, couldn't think of one. There were. I just couldn't think of them because I didn't like it. I wasn't investing in it. Well, I want to get the thing infected, and I, I have one of those guys that you can pretty, walk, pretty well guarantee you're going to walk with an inspection sticker no matter what the condition of the car. Well, he wouldn't pass a broken spring. So maybe I shouldn't have been driving it around after all. I don't know. I felt safe. So I had to make a decision. Just drive it around and not get it relicensed, or I have to get it fixed. Well, I used it for the business, so I had to get a relicense. So I took it over to the mechanic shop, and they went ahead and fixed it. Then I get the call for the bill. It wasn't more than I expected, but it was far more than I was hoping. It was a lot. They ended up having to do both sides, and I basically got a new front end on a four-wheel drive pickup. Still wasn't happy until I went there, and I laid down the $100 bills on the counter, and I got my receipt. Almost instantly, something changed. I made an investment in that truck. I got in that truck for the first time other than the test drive and was like, wow, this really feels better. Oh, I'm up high now and it's level. Oh, the steering's a lot better. I'm a lot solid on it. I'm, I'm, this is really nice. And then all of a sudden I began to see the value of the, the engine. I was like, you know, this Triton engine's not too bad. It's got a lot of horsepower for this fuel consumption. It's dependable, starts every time. I don't have any issues. That one little investment, I began to, to like my truck. 
Now, it's still got rust problems. Nothing went away. I mean, the problem didn't go away, and I'm going to have to get rid of the truck eventually. But now when I do get rid of that truck, it's probably going to be a sadder day than it was a happier day. <laughs> now, you have to understand the power of this story. It's a Ford. <laughs> I'm okay with a Ford right now. That's miraculous. So let's invest in our church like the Ford. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse, verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of the body being many in one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink unto one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. We need to have generational thinking in our church, but we also need to have a body thinking. We need to be part of the body. If we're not part of the body, if our young people are not part of the body, then they're, 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 they're going to be easily pulled away. I think a lot of times we're raising children that are like jewelry. They're on the body. They can slip on the finger. But when hardships come, when they have an argument with somebody, they're like, then they have to wait. It's painful. When you're, when you're having trouble with a member of the congregation, it is painful. Now, if you're a ring and you're weighing out and says, well, I can have the pain of the argument, but I can just pull myself off of that body and move on to the next body. Now, that probably won't last there either. Next time they have a problem, I'll pull myself off and I'll move on to the next body. The reason they can do that is because the pain they're having with the body or an individual in the body is greater than the pain of leaving it. Now, let's say you're not a ring. Let's say that you're a finger. Well, this finger is having problems with this finger. That's painful. I want to get away from that. Give me some clippers. Oh, Wait. The pain that's going to come with being separated from the body is almost greater than the pain that I'm having with this individual. Nope. I'll work it out. It's an anchor. If you're not truly part of the body, then you don't feel the pain of being separated from the body. We have to get our children. We have to become a part of the body to where the pain of being separated from the body is greater than the pain that we have with our problems. I'm in closing. These are two little areas that I'm going to add. These, if you get the value system down right, you won't have as many issues with this. But these are two things that have been brought up in my research of why our young adults are leaving. Embellishing the truth. Okay, we, we have a unique, unique truth system here, and, I, and, I, and it's a great thing. But sometimes we get motivated as parents and teachers, whatever it might be, to try to convince our children that this is true by adding things to it that are irrelevant. For example, pork should not be eaten because it has worms in it. That's not why we shouldn't eat pork. Because they can just go out and get a, a hot cooker and kill the worms. The worms are not bulletproof. They can be cooked out. That's not why we should be doing it. Because that's the first thing that will happen. They go out in the world and like, no, 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 you don't have to worry about that. I got the worms taken care of. Yeah. 
Heck, you can purge them with, with some sort of lemon juice or something. That's not what we need to be telling them. The scripture says, God said, thou shalt not eat. That's truth. The thing about the worms may or may not be true, but that's not relevant to the truth. The second one, conspiracy. Now, I get it. If we believe in Satan, we have to believe in conspiracy. He has an agenda, and he's conspiring against us. But how do these conspiracies, how are they important to us? And, and I want to show you that a lot, most conspiracies that I've run into, we don't really know if they're true or not. And they don't really relate to us in any important way. And this can bog our children's minds down. So let me show you how easy it is to do this. Now, maybe most of you have noticed we have a handrail up here. Well, I know the guy that built these. <clears throat> so you'll notice there's, there's several symbols on here. So at the very front, you'll notice this handrail is not made of a solid piece. It's made of three pieces, the top rail. That's to symbolize a three-bound um, cord cannot be broken. Okay? You'll see that there's three rings here. Those three rings represent the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. No beginning and no end. You'll see there on one side that there's uh, two brass baskets representing the royalty of both the family of Judah and the family of Ephraim. Then we'll see that there's the twist on these. These are, these are interesting. They have two twists in them, showing that it has been tried two times and been found strong and true. And then on the front, we see this kind of a, a, a shepherd's hook, representing that Jesus is our shepherd. And then it's placed in the front of the altar that this is the door that we enter into. You'll probably never look at that rail again the same. I made all that up right now. That is not true. Those are just random symbols that I took and I turned them into something. Now, here's the problem. You say, well, what's the big deal if someone sees that? The problem is it's not true. Why are we wasting our time with our young people about things that aren't true? Let's focus on the truth. See, here's the thing. You don't have to learn about the enemy to know what's right and wrong. You need to know what is right. And then when the wrong comes along, you're going to be like, that's not this. Go away. We need to focus on the truth. And so I'll close with this verse. Make sure I get it right. Matthew 6, 31. Therefore, take no thought, saying what we have to eat, or what we have to drink, or what wherewith all shall we be clothed. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth, that ye have need of all these things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. There is no question that the draw that the world has on you are these things. It's the clothing, it's the finances, it's the power, it's the air conditioning. I'm working on that one myself. That's the draw of the world. And God says... Focus on me. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else. Focus on me and my kingdom to come. And I will make sure that you will get the things of this world that are necessary for you to have. I thank you for your time. May God bless you. Thank you very much.